Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We thank you that you've given us your word for us to study and get to know you and ask for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Jeremiah 23, we just had the speaking of the Messiah coming at the first half of the first part of this that we read last week and starting at verse 9. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. For he, for the land is full of adulterers and because, for because of the swearing the land mourns and the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up and their course is evil and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house you have found their wickedness, says the Lord. Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them even the year of their visitation, says the Lord. I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesy in Baal and cause my people and Israel to err. I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem, a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They, they strengthen also the hands of the evildoers that none do, does return from their, his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and as the inhabitants of Gomorrah. So we're going to stop there because here is God really talking about the religious side of things. And, you know, this is one of the problems we have even in our day. There are all kinds of cults and denominations, uh, cults and false religions, but there's also a great problem within the Christian church, so-called Christian church, that is not willing to take a stand for God and go get all wishy-washy and not take a stand and and not be able to things and this is what he's saying he goes my heart is within me is broken because of the prophets you know, so this is okay which prophets he's going to be a little more specific as he goes on but the prophets were those that spoke for God supposedly and he says they are not taking a stand and they're supposed to be speaking for me and I have seen, and even, men, you know, I've seen many Christians, but I've also seen and heard different pastors that are saying crazy things that don't fit the scriptures. And I'm going, where are the real leaders for the church? And I know we're at the end times and everything's falling apart and all of that. And it's like, it's just one more step in the fact that we're at the end times uh, is that people are not saying that God stands for something. And he does. He's always stood for righteousness and holiness. And even as Christians, even though he says that, you know, there's grace available and mercy available to us, there are still the standards that God expects to be obeyed. And we disobey him at our own hurt because judgment will fall upon people who disobey God's righteousness. And this is something that is going to be very true. And even in our country, as we're facing these decisions coming from our country that are taking us further and further away from God, we're going to get more and more judgment from God, as has been seen in the past. We're going to see more famines, more, more drought, more severity in our, in our weather patterns, and all the things that are going to happen. Why? Because we, as a country, are moving further and further from God.
and God brings judgment. Now, he mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah in this section I just read, and Sodom and Gomorrah got so bad that God says, I'm going to destroy you from the face of the world, and we're making the same decisions to go the same direction <laughs> that Sodom and Gomorrah went in. And God will bring judgment. And, you know, this is the saddest thing I've found in today's, you know, voted or Congress, you know, to, to approve all of the insanity that's not marriage and see that God will bring judgment upon this country. And anybody's going to wonder, what is all this judgment? You know, why are these bad things happening? Look how bad global warming is. Look how bad, you know, man-made pollution is and all the stuff that they're going to blame it on instead of saying our sins are being judged. And this is going to be a problem. And, and here in Jeremiah saying, my heart is broken and crushed because of the prophets. My bones shake. Literally, this means they go soft. He can't hardly stand. All right, his knees are buckling is what he's, what he's saying on here. Um, and, I, and like a man whom wine has overcome. So in other words, he's wobbling all, you know, to and fro, cannot stand. All right, this is quite a picture of where he's at. A broken heart, can't stand, wobbling, tottering all over the place. Um, and he says, because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. Have you ever been in a place in your life where God has spoken to you and you're going, oh my goodness, <laughs> whether it's about you, the, the, the country, whatever, and you look, this is God's standard and it's really bad when, it's, you know, when you're not in his standard and all of a sudden he shows you his standard. And believe me, I've seen more and more of that as I have walked with him and I'm going, okay, these things I used to do, now I can't do them because, okay, whoa, you know, God is starting to say, this is wrong. And then I look at where, how far down our world has gone and how far down our country has gone down the wrong path. And I kind of feel like Jeremiah sometimes. God, how far can this country go before you destroy it? How long before we have the great earthquake and huge sections of America die, you know, drop off or floods come in or whatever it might be to bring judgment against some of these cities that are so far in their depravity? God is, is going to bring judgment and has been bringing judgment for, for quite a while as far as I'm concerned. As I watch bigger and bigger storms coming in every year and earthquakes happening in places that have never had earthquakes, uh, you know, volcanic activity, you know, huge snowstorms that are burying, burying places that probably won't get any water out of the deal when they finally melt because of the floods, uh, you know, and all the stuff that's going on and the droughts and the, and the famine that is starting to hit the world and going, God, it is exactly what you say you're going to do. It's exactly what you have done. And it's not a surprise to me to see these things. And yet, nobody will say that they're from God because they don't want to sound wacky. You know, they don't want to sound like God still does what he's always done. Even though Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun and God does everything and he's immutable, he doesn't change. He still will do everything the way he's always done it. So when he brings judgment, we need to start recognizing that it is judgment and calling it what it is. It's judgment. And if our country continues to go further and further away from God instead of responding to the judgment, it's going to get harsher. And 
we are at the end days, so I'm, in one side it excites me because yes, we're at the end days, the rapture's coming and I'll be gone and I won't have to worry about any of it. And then real judgment starts falling on, on this world. 21 different plagues will fall upon the world during the, during the time of the seven year reign of the Antichrist. You know, and we've said this as I went through Revelation, I went through and found out that 66% of the population approximately is gonna die during those 21 plagues. And probably much more, but at least that's what we can tell by what God said. All because God says his judgment falls, and Jeremiah says, at the words of his holiness, God says, this is what I demand. This is who I am. And when we start to really understand God's holiness, it does really shake us to the core. Because we start realizing, number one, how sinful we are compared to his holiness. And then even though, you know, even though we're terrible sinners in ourselves, but you know, we as Christians hopefully are walking, trying to walk with God to some degree. And we look at our country and where our country is going, it really shakes to the core. As we look around and saying, God, how much longer will you put up with our country and the world? I mean, the, our country's not that much worse than the rest of the world. Uh, but you know, we look at this, and Jeremiah was saying, I can't. I tremble at it. My heart is broken when I see it, and and I do have a broken heart when I look at how far our country has gone down from from its history, where how far it's gone down in just the last couple decades. Uh, but also when I look back, because I'm a history buff, I look back at what it started at, where it started with God and, and righteousness, and look at where it is now, it's really troubling. And saying, God, what, what's in store for us? How much longer? How much longer will we stay a nation? Because right? when Israel rebelled, it, got put in, it, it was put into captivity. Uh, <clears throat> Germany fell, uh, France fell, uh, Greece fell, Roman Empire fell. Everybody has always fallen when they get to the place where they just allow sin to re run rampant and not call it sin, it's toward the end. And the final one for all those empires was homosexuality, transgenderism, and fornication, and all those sexual perversions that America is now allowing to go un unfettered. That's the last one before a nation falls, an empire falls. And so we are right at the cusp. If there's not a repentance, this nation will cease to be the nation or at least any power. And all because they're turning from God's holiness. Now they want to reject God, that's fine, but God doesn't care whether they reject him or not or even believe who he is, he is still God. And that's the good news for us is God is still God no matter what anybody else says. And truth is always truth. Doesn't matter whether people believe truth or not, it's still the truth. And he goes, for the land is full of adulterers, and because of swearing the land mourns, the pleasant places are wilderness and dried up, and their and the course of evil, and their course is evil, and their force is not right. Land is full of adulterers. The world pretty much is full of adulterers right now, you know, because we've accepted, you know, all kinds of different activities. It started out allowing for fornication and saying it's okay, and then adultery started picking up, you know, the, the free 
free, free marriages and all the stuff that kicked into to gear and now we're going into homosexuality and you're going to be watching as, as all these things happen, especially with this new law. We're going to see bestiality and everything else coming in because people already had started talking about, well, if I can, if we can, if I can marry somebody of the same sex, why can't I marry my dog or my horse or my cat? You know, uh, and we're going to see every perversion coming out of the woodwork because they have just approved it by the law. And this is exactly what we say in God's in, in statement. When Canaan was conquered, the reason Israel was able to conquer Canaan because God said they are so perverse and so evil, judgment fell. And in Canaan, when Israel went in there, there was no, there was no words for perverted, perverted sexual relationships because everything was permissible. Literally, everything was permissible. And God says, they've gone too far, I'm going to judge them. And I'm not being a prophet. I'm just telling you what's going to happen in the near future is we're going to see all perversions coming, coming out of the woodwork because if they can get any state to accept it, then it becomes something that is forced to be accepted everywhere. And we're going to see more and more of this because that is what man does. And we've seen it over and over again. This is not new. You know, what's happening is not new. It has happened all over the place. And he says, their swearings, for their swearing, the land mourns. And this is the idea that they were making pledges and not keeping them, using curses, all these things. And it says, the land mourns or laments. And, you know, I kind of find it so interesting in our day and age, you can't believe any, anything anybody says because they will say whatever they want to hear. It's one of the problems at my job. There are so many people that will tell you what you want to hear and they have no intention of following through with it. You can't be sure that you've got an actual contract with somebody because if their lawyers are better than your lawyers, you know, you, you, you may think you have an ironclad contract, but their lawyer may find a way, and it may be the fact that it's ironclad that they get out of, from under it. You know, you, th you, you tricked me, you know. There's uh, all of this lying and swearing and destruction of everything. And it is really sad that you can't believe anything anybody says hardly anymore. Uh, to find somebody who is a person of integrity is rare. Now, we as Christians should be people of integrity. If we say something, we should fulfill it even to our hurt. Say, well, I guess I did say that. Here you go. <laughs> and that's the way we're supposed to be. Yet your yea be yea and your nay be nay. You don't need to swear by, and that's what Jesus you know, and Paul and the other one said, don't swear by the temple, don't swear by the by the, the Bible, you know, just make it that when you say yes, it means yes. If you say no, it means no. And, you know, it's kind of hard right now because there are so many people that you don't know whether you can trust what they say anymore. You know, and people go, well, you actually did it. I go, of course I did it. I'm a person of integrity. I'm a man of integrity. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to make sure that as best I can that it happens. Uh, and he says, all of this is going on. The pleasant places are made wilderness. They're, they're dried up. And their courses are evil. Their forces are not right. And I'm looking around. You know, we look around our world. How many of the pleasant places are drying up in our world? You know, we hear Lake Mead all the time because we live close to Lake Mead. But I looked it up. There's 25 lakes that are drying up around the world. Around the world. Not just Lake Mead, but around the world 
25 major lakes all over the world are drying up and dwindling away because of God's judgment upon them. That's what he says. It says your, your, your pleasant places will become wilderness and dry up. And we're seeing that happen because their courses are evil. I mean, God is, the mankind's course is evil. And God says, this is the judgment. So, like I say, when I look around, I'm going, all I see is God's hand upon this world. Saying, you want to disobey? These are the results. All right? And we're seeing more and more lakes drying up, famines happening, uh, severe storms, all these things is exactly what will happen when God brings judgment. And he goes, for both prophets and priests are profane. You know, this is kind of interesting because this word for profane in this particular Hebrew word means godless. He goes, the priests are, are godless. Now that's pretty bad when the priest who, worship, who leads the worship to a god is godless. And, but we see this all over that people are doing all kinds of things to draw away from even their gods. Because he's not just speaking of God's prophets. He's speaking of prophets to everything. And again, we see pastors that are not representing God and teaching things that are totally against God. That um, there are pastors, if you listen to various things on TV and everything, that won't they read a Bible verse and they don't talk about that Bible verse at all during their message. And it's like, why did you read the Bible verse? It's to sound like they are talking about the Bible. And then they talk about anything but the Bible. And much of what they talk about isn't even scriptural. And it's like, what is going on? They're godless. And we need to be careful about who we listen to, who we get fed by, because it can be a big problem because some of these guys are good speakers. They're excellent speakers. They just don't preach God's word. And this happens in non-Christian groups, but it also is happening more and more in the Christian world. And we have certain denominations that have totally abandoned the Bible and gone completely away from the Bible and say just about anything is okay they're, you know, they're allowing homosexual marriages. They're you know, allowing all kinds of things and saying, it's okay, God loves you. Well, God does love you, but that doesn't mean it's okay. And this is something we have to keep in mind for ourselves. Uh, when I'm dealing with other people, I'm to love, the, love that individual and to care for them and do what I can for them. Now, when it comes down to, is what they're doing okay? No, it's called sin. And that's the, what we need to make sure. Well, I take and help the, uh, a homosexual couple coming in this door and uh, this, these doors and help them with food or something. Yes, we'd help them with food. Am I going to say their relationship is, is okay? No. God says it's sin. But I'm still going to reach out and help them and try to draw them to the love of God. But not to the extent of saying what they're doing is good. And this is something that is happening more and more in churches. You go one extreme or the other. You either say it's all wrong, so we're not going to help you, which is totally unloving and uncaring, and that's not how God deals with us. Or we get so accepting that whatever you're doing is okay. 
And we need to be very careful that we're not on either extreme. You know, yes, God has standards, but his standards do not say don't help <laughs> and don't, don't minister. Jesus helped anybody and everybody that needed help. He didn't say that their activities were good. You know, what did he say to most people? What did he say to the woman caught in adultery? Where are your accusers? None here. He goes, you know, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. All right. So he's saying, I'm not condemning you right now, but don't continue doing what you were doing because it is wrong and it's got judgment that comes along with it. And that is where we have to take a very interesting line and you know we as Christians will oftentimes say you are to love the sinner and hate the sin the world doesn't understand that idea because you are what you do by their standard all right if you are homosexual then you are homosexual that is who you are in your innermost being and you can't change who you are by the world's standards we as Christians say you are a human being caught in the clutches of the sin of homosexuality and therefore you need to get say, delivered from your sin to walk correctly. And not just homosexuality, an adulterer or fornication, whatever it might be, they're not a thief. You know, the world looks at a thief as somebody who just can't help themselves. They're a thief, they're a kleptomaniac, they're, they're sick. And God says, no, they're an individual caught up in the sin of theft, stealing. And we separate the two and say, I want to help the person get delivered from the activity that they're doing. And this is where God's big difference is from the world. He says, you're not what you do. You are a human being that does certain things that have great impact on us, and we need to get away from what we do wrong. He says, for the prophets are godless, yea, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. His own priest in the temple were bringing in their sins. All right. Now, Jeremiah is going to talk about all the adultery and pornography and everything else that God showed him happening in the temple with the priests. We go back to Samuel's sons. Phineas and, I can't remember his other name, but the other one. But what were they doing? What was the accusation against them? They were taking the sacrifices from the people and not sacrificing them because they wanted it. They were sleeping with the women coming to worship. You know, and God says, no, that's not going to happen. I think that was exactly what was happening at this point to Jeremiah, that the end of their days, that things were going on in the temple that God says, No. These things are not supposed to go on in the temple. And every once in a while, we'll hear about some pastor sleeping with the ladies in the church and everything, and it just brings shame to God's name because of them not living up to where they're supposed to live up to. And it's a very sad thing when this happens. And here God is saying, I found this wickedness in my priests. All right? Um, Verse 12, wherefore their way shall be unto them as a slippery ways in the darkness. And this is kind of an interesting term, a slippery way in the darkness. We have the same type of term in our days. It's a slippery, slippery slope. You make one decision and it leads to another decision and another decision and another decision, which are all going down the wrong direction. 
or a decision's made that leads to the wrong decisions. And seen them so much in the history of our country and the history of individuals. Make one bad decision and all of a sudden your path is set in a wrong direction because now you've got to justify that decision. Or worse yet, somebody finds out about your decision and uses it against you to get you to do more because if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to tell everybody about what you did and then as you go further down that path, well, now i got a whole lot on you and you're on, a, and you're on a slope that's headed the wrong way. And we need to be very careful. This is why integrity is so important. And when we do make a bad decision, it's very important for us to just get up and say, I admit that I made a bad decision and, God, and I've asked God for forgiveness. And I'm, and I'm trying to do better instead of trying to cover it up. Because the more you try to cover it up, the more you're going to end up going down the wrong path. And this is what he's saying. Their feet are on this slippery way. They shall be driven on and fall therein. I will bring evil upon them. God says eventually it's going to fall. It's said in the, in the New Testament, be sure that your sins will find you out. In the Old Testament, excuse me. And in the New Testament, it says your sin will be shouted from the rooftops. All right? God is very clear that he does not let sin be covered, especially in his children. All right? If you're his child, he will make sure that your sin is discovered. David's sin with Bathsheba. He thought he had gotten away with it. Nobody had ever, nobody was bothering. Now he had a hard time. David was having a hard time. He was out of fellowship with God for that, for that year or two. The first child was born. And then Nathan came and said, uh, gave David that long story about, you know, the, the, the rich man taking away the only, only lamb from, the, from this poor man. And, and then he pointed and David got all upset about it. And he goes, you're the man. All of a sudden David realized that my sin is no longer hidden. And then part of his punishment was that his own wives would be slept with by, you know, out in the open. And what happened with his son? He slept with his concubine, David's concubines on the, on the rooftop of the palace to show that he was, you know, that. And he was also told the sword will never leave your, your house. And he had problems from that. His sin was uncovered, broadcast to the nation. <laughs> and brought out with great discipline. How much will your sins be announced? Well, how important are you? If you're really important, you're well known, some of these evangelists who thought they were getting away with things, their sins were ex expounded to the nation. Some of them, you know, some people are just, you know, really small influential, then just the people they have influence over will get to know their sin but your sin will be revealed to others. And this is why we've got to be careful about this. God says, I have found your wickedness and I will bring evil on you for that wickedness. God always judges sin. Even in this day and age where we are covered by the blood of Christ and everything, there's still consequences for sin. And this is what I tell us all the time, you know, there's always a consequence. Now, how big that consequence is, I don't know, but that's between God and, and you, but there will always be a consequence for every sin that we do. And Jeremiah is saying the same thing, that there will be a consequence. Verse 13 says, 
I have seen folly, the folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and, curse, and cursed my people Israel and caused my people Israel to err. So in Samaria, the two big gods that they followed were Astora and Baal. And the big one was Baal. And it says, the, the prophets of Baal have caused my people to go into sin. Now, we've shared this before. If we're listening to the wrong messages, the wrong teachers, the teachers are at fault. Don't get me wrong. They're at fault. They're, they're going to hold a great uh, responsibility for taking you into the wrong direction. Uh, we're told that the teachers are worthy of double honor and double, double cursing. If they're leading you wrong, then they're going to be doubly cursed for, for leading you wrong. However, having said that, that doesn't re release us as the follower from not having opened up our Bible and said, what does God say? And, you know, we need to be opening our scriptures and, and study rather than following blindly. Uh, if, we're, if we're led astray, yes, it's bad. But if we're just closing our eyes and saying, well, I kind of like which way we're going, so I'm just going to follow them because I like, I like what they're telling me. <laughs> you're, not, you're not freed up just because you're following, following them. Uh, if they're not matching up to the scriptures. And this is why Paul praised the Bereans. He says, you have opened up the scriptures and validated everything and proved what I have taught. And I always, and I've said it many times, I want our church to be filled with good Bereans that look up the scripture and say, well, pastor said this. Mm, yep, okay, that matches. No, you know, and I've been challenged a couple of times and had to change, you know, say, well, I, I might have misspoken or, or maybe not try, you know, said it right, but have to been able to correct some things in the past. Uh, and it's important. Are we looking in the scriptures and saying, this is what God says? Or are we just saying, this is what a teacher teaches? Now, what happens with most of these false teachers, they usually start out pretty good. They stay very accurate to the Bible. They get people to trust them and and not really study their scriptures. And then all of a sudden, they start diverging off the path. And because people have gotten used to trusting them, they don't go to the Word of God and check out, check out what they've done and what they're saying. I never want people to do that. I want always to be having checked out. And I do the same thing when I'm listening to these different pastors on the radio. I'll hear them say something and I'll grab a notebook or piece of paper and I'll go, I need to check this out because I've never heard anything like that. And some of them I just write off totally because I know they're not right in the first place. And that bothers me when I hear them, especially when it's a good teacher that I like. And so, but we need to be able to get in and say, number one, none of, there's not a single teacher out there that is infallible. All right, so understand that first off. You know, they don't fully understand God's word 100% right in all, in all aspects. So there's that problem. And I've had to change things over the years. As things that I used to say 20, 30 years ago, God has said, uh, no, you don't quite understand that. Or maybe I've gotten to a deeper understanding of it over the years so that I now know it better than I used to know it. And going, well, I shouldn't have quite taught it that way not wrong, but not, not fully developed. And so we need to be very careful. Are we looking at God's word as our standard? And this is very important because his word is our only standard.
And this is where people will go, well, I had this vision and God spoke to me in a vision. I'm going, what did he say? And they'll give me something far off the wall that's not scriptural and go, that wasn't God. I'm not sure who gave you that vision, but it wasn't a vision from God. Well, you, you can't tell me it wasn't God. I know it was God. I go, well, you just contradicted just, you know, this scripture, this scripture, and this scripture. You did not hear from God. And this is something that we can be able to understand. If it violates scripture, it's not, the, it's not from God. And we need to be able to sit down with scripture and say, okay, yes, yes, yes. Can it expand upon and make things deeper? Possibly, as long as it doesn't violate what the scripture says. And this is where, when God works with me on things, he's taking me deeper in understanding of things. And so we want to get that. And this is what's going to happen to us as we walk with God and we learn, learn from God. He's going to take us deeper and deeper and deeper into his word. And we're going to look at things and go, wow, I never understood it quite that fully. When I think about the love of God, you know, how big is God's love is, is an amazing thing. How, how deep is his grace? How deep is his mercy? You know, uh, salvation, and I've, we've, I've shared this with you because it's just impressed me one time. You know, salvation is so simple that any child can understand it. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus is that savior. Very simple. But there are people who have studied salvation their entire lives. There's a set of books on salvation, if I recall correctly, was 22 volumes on salvation. The simple truth of salvation that is something that you can study for the rest of your life and get deeper and deeper and deeper to fully understand salvation. Now, I don't think I want to put that much time and effort into learning just the topic of salvation, but what area can we go into? It's been said that you can take any verse of the Bible and probably teach it for an entire year and not run out of things to say. And I believe that's probably true with most of the verses in the Bible. You know, even the simplest verse in the Bible, he wept. What kind of messages can you come up with that one? I could think of four or five right off the top of my head for he wept. All right? Uh, just because of how much God has taught me over the years and the, the intensity of that statement that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. All right? Where are we with God? How much do we know God? As we get to draw closer to him, we get to really understand his holiness, his righteousness. And that's what I have found over the years. The closer I draw to God, the more I realize how much of a sinner I am. Because all of a sudden, I see his holiness and go on, I am not close to what I'm supposed to be. Now, the world will look at me and say, well, you, you're, you got it all put together. You don't smoke. You don't drink. You're not, you're not sleeping around with other people. You're not swearing. You're not cursing. You, know, you hold your temper in check most of the time. But I know what actually is going on in the heart compared to what God what I see God as. And you know, understanding all of this is so important for us. The closer we draw to God, the more we're going to realize how far we are from his standard and how very far the world is from his standard and cause all these problems. In verse 14, I have seen also the prophets of Jerusalem uh, in the prophets of Jerusalem, horrible things. What a statement on that. Horrible things in the prophets of Jerusalem. Now, 
when he's talking about Samaria, we know that most of those were false prophets. They didn't have a whole lot of prophets of God. Jerusalem had a lot of false prophets as well. Uh, and he says he does horrible things. They commit adultery and walk in lies. Now that's pretty bad. They're committing adultery, probably both physically and spiritually, in his mind. Physically committing adultery, but also spiritually. And this is one that God is always talking about in the, in the Old Testament. He said, Israel has been married to me. And they are going out and committing adultery with other gods. The prophets of Israel, many of them weren't prophets of God. They were prophets from other gods. And they were committing other more bold, adulterous relationships. And he says, and they walk in lies. What they are speaking is the lie. And this is one of the things, I used to go to a church that talked about, you know, that was very much into prophecies and everything. And every once in a while, all these times you'd hear, uh, God said to me. Now, when they would tell you that God said, that was supposed to stop all arguments and discussions about it because God spoke to them. Didn't matter whether it was scriptural, didn't matter if it was true, didn't matter if anything was there. But God said was supposed to stop all discussion on a topic. Because now you're arguing with God. If you disagreed with him, you were arguing with God. And it's like, okay, what did God say? Well, that's not scriptural. Well, God told me. I go, no, God didn't tell you that. You, you thought it up in your own mind. And if I'd have known this verse, I'd have said, and you're walking in lies. <laughs> All right. And we need to be careful about walking in lies. And, and I think all the time, what does God say is a lie? is quite interesting compared to what we think of what a lie is. When we take the, when we used to tell the, take the oath, I, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, we were much more in line with God's definition of a lie. You're told a lie anytime you didn't speak the entire truth, including what wasn't asked. Now, I was going to be I was, had a lawyer representing me one time, and the lawyer told me not to go to court because he did not want my, state, my, my, my statement to be put into court because he goes, you can't say that. I'm going, I have to speak the truth. He goes, well, don't, don't come. Now, I have no idea what he said, how he got me out. He got me out of the, the ticket, but I don't know what he did. But, you know, when you go to court, your lawyer will prep you by saying, answer only the question they asked you and nothing more. Why? You're supposed to tell the truth, but they're telling you to lie by God's standards and lie by according to what you're promising to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And yet they're telling you to lie by not telling the whole truth. Walking in lies. And we justify it in our, in our own days, you know, in our own ways. Well, I don't want to say this because, you know, uh, might not, make, might not make, this, make the situation work out the way I want it to do. So I'm not going to tell the, the whole truth. I'm going to tell just what they needed to do. This is why many times people have not wanted me to talk to vice presidents and presidents coming in, to, coming in because I will tell them the whole truth. If I'm asked a question, I will tell them the truth. I do not like playing these little political, you know, this is what you need to know, this is what you don't need to know. Now, I'm not going to say something to hurt somebody, 
But by the same token, I'm not going to be playing games with half-truths and, and deceptions and everything. Uh, and I don't think most people want to be treated that way. You know, they want to know the truth. They don't need to have these little games going on. And he says, my priests are walking in lies. They strengthen also their hands, the hands of the evildoer, and none does return from his wickedness. So he says, the prophets, his priests, are not challenging the evildoers to change their ways. Matter of fact, they're strengthening them in their sin. They're encouraging them in their sin. You know, well, God doesn't need you to change. He loves you. Well, that's strengthening them in their sin. That's not encouraging them to, to repent of their evil doings. Now, I'm not going to go, you wicked, terrible sinner, you've got to change. No, I don't want to go that far either because that starts getting judgmental and it's not going to bring any, any reaction either. But as I've said many times, God calls this activity sin. And if they don't like that, that's their problem at that point. It is saying God calls this sin. And then it's between, it's between them and God. I'm not, I'm not going to call them out. I'm not going to judge them. Not chasing them out of the church. Not chasing them out of the, out of the, out of the place. Yes, what they're doing is wrong. We've had a lot of homosexual couples come through this church over, over the time I've been here. They stay for three or four, five, six weeks until I mention that homosexuality is a sin. I'm not looking at them. I'm not aiming at them, but I'm just saying. And if you'll notice, I almost always include homosexuality, fornication, and adultery all in the same sentence because they're all sins that need to be avoided. And I don't want anybody to be picked on because of their particular variety of sin because sin is sin. Mankind brackets sins into, in this hierarchy of sin, good sins and bad sins, or not so bad sins or, and terrible sins. But God does not do that. A single sin keeps people from God's presence. One sin. What was Adam and Eve's sin? They did a terrible thing. They ate of the fruit that God told them not to. A fruit. You know, they just ate of a tree. And God says, now that brings judgment to the entire world. What does God hate? Lying lips, lips that spread gossip. Uh, you know, those are the things he says, I hate. What would we put up there if we were to pick the hated sins? You know, murder, rape, uh, molesting a child. You know, we'd put those ones way up there. Those, these are terrible, terrible things. And God says he hates words. He hates the words that are not, cor not corrupt are not, not uh, pure. Uh, you know, so we need to be able to look at these things. And then he says, They are all of them unto me as Sodom and as the inhabitants of Gomorrah. These were his prophets he's talking about. What did he do to Sodom and Gomorrah? He destroyed them with fire and brimstone because of their evil. And he's saying their words, their actions, because they are not challenging people to come to me, are as bad as those in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is pretty strong words when, God, when we think about it. What has God asked us to do as Christians? Make disciples. And that wasn't even asked. It was a command. Go and make disciples. And if we're not making disciples, we're not doing what God told us to do. So we need to be looking. Who are we discipling? Who are we working with training? And for years, my training was for my kids. 
pouring my pouring virtually all my effort into my kids Sunday school classes and whatever else now I get to have a whole church because <laughs> uh, my kids are pretty much grown and on their own and doing their things and mostly doing good but who are we discipling is very important and you're going well I'm a new Christian well find another new Christian and help some find a newer Christian and help disciple them find a Christian that doesn't know as much as you do and help disciple them answer the questions work with people teach and discipling is not really even preaching at people it is just walking them through how to live how did Jesus raise the disciples yes he preached at them frequently or preached around them but what was his biggest part of his discipleship they got to walk with him 24 7 for four years they saw how he treated people they saw how he acted they saw how he behaved behave to people they watched when somebody would do something and he would respond by love he watched when people would come up and he's busy and and minister to them this is true discipleship when people look at us and see how we live a godly lifestyle most of us are discipling even when we don't know we're discipling because there are people watching us and saying I wonder what they're going to do now that this is happening I wonder what they're going to do now one of the great examples that I had for discipling was I took the youth from, the, from a church on a, on a trip. Now, I wasn't even their youth leader. The youth leader got called away at the last moment, and I got to be the youth leader for the weekend. Well, I was driving for the first time on these highways in, in Arizona to, from Kingman to, to Phoenix, and I went through Wiki up without seeing the speed slow down. Well, we all know that that's a famous speed trap in this area, and I got pulled over. Now, I was very polite and honest. I was being respectful to the officer. I had not saw, I, you know, I told him I didn't see the, I didn't notice the sign. I apologized, you know, and I'm ready for my ticket. And the guys in the back are going, wow, you're so different than my dad. If my dad, when my dad gets pulled over, he's cursing and swearing and angry. I'm going, well, thank, I didn't see the signs. You know, speed change. I go, I'm obviously at fault. I luckily got a warning. But what was I doing in that case without even knowing what I was doing? I was discipling a whole bunch of teenagers in the most embarrassing time driving a church van with a bunch of church kids <laughs> as the church leader <laughs> and being pulled over. But it was an opportunity to give discipleship on this is how you honor authority. This is how you accept consequences for, for something done. And it opened up conversations later on throughout the weekend. How does, how does discipleship work? It's very simple. It's not me sitting down, all right, let's go through the Bible and show, show you everything that God says about things. No, it is living out how we live and being an example. And people are looking at us. If they know you're a Christian and they should, then they're going to be looking at you and saying, are you an example of Christ? Are, how do you react when something goes wrong? How do you react when things go right? You know, who are you representing? How are you representing? These inhabitants, and God says, these leaders are taking people down the wrong path. And it made him angry with them. Verse 15, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall, 
For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of God. They say still unto you that despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And they say unto everyone that walks after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word, who hath marked his word and heard it? So here he's talking about these. First he's saying, therefore, says the Lord of the host, I will make them feed on wormwood. And that is a bitterness and a poison. All right. Wormwood is bitter. It's poison. He says, I'm going to make these false prophets consume this bitterness. You always get back from God what you deserve from him eventually. And he says, they will drink the water of gall. Now, gall is the bitter, uh, acidic thing put out by the, by the liver and the, and the gallbladder. Get bile. All right. Uh, and it destroys. <laughs> it, it destroys the, the stuff in our system. And he says, I'm going to make them drink this. And if you've ever smelled it, it smells bad enough. I wouldn't even want to try to drink it. All right. Uh, it smells terrible. And he says, that's what they're going to, they're going to eat bitterness. They're going to drink this bitter, <laughs> bitter brew that, that helps to, to destroy. And he goes, for the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness. Back to that idea of godless. And... They speak a vision of their, um, and they make, excuse me, I got out of place. And, and, and their bitterness, their godliness has gone forth into the land. And I think this is very important for even in America. As the churches have pulled further and further back from engaging in the world, the world has gone further and further into evil. The churches and Christians' jobs are to stand up and give salt and light to this world and try to preserve it. Now, there are churches are, I mean, how bad would our country be if, the church, if some small minority of churches weren't standing up and calling sin, sin? And, you know, if there was no opposition to it, how bad would this world be? Well, when you study Revelation, you get a little glimpse of what things will be like without salt and light being brought out and Satan gets a much more free hand and I can't even imagine how bad things will get during that seven years when lawlessness rules when there is no right being held up and saying no this is what's right this is what God's standard are you know we think it's pretty bad you know just think about if you read something like the, the Lord of the Flies, how bad those boys got as, as lawlessness ruled. That is a picture of the end times. When murder is not considered bad and it's going to be literally whoever's strong gets to have their way. Because there's no right or wrong. It's whoever has the might has, has what's right. And it's not going to be right, but they're going to consider it right. And it's going to be, well, I'm stronger than you, so I get, I get my way. It'd be the outworking of evolution. It'll be the outworking of, of the Antichrist to say, whoever's strong 
gets their way. And of course, he's the strong one. And all of this goes in when people are evil, the countries are, are bad. And it says in Proverbs that where the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Where they don't rule, misery. Misery. And our country is finding more and more misery as the righteous do not rule. And less and less rejoicing. <laughs> because there's nothing to rejoice in when we see these decisions being made. And so we, and he goes, they hearken not uh, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. He goes, they make you vain. They make you empty. These false prophets are giving you just empty dust. Yeah, and this is the sad thing. We hear so much going on and it's just emptiness. All the arguments for why these things should be happening are just empty words because there's no life in them. He goes... They speak a vision of their own hearts and not out of the mouth of God. He goes, when these guys are speaking their words, it's out of their own imaginations. This is a deadly place to be, especially if they're a good speaker. You know, uh, well, and Jeremiah is talking about it out from a personal point. He keeps telling them God's bringing judgment and all the other prophets come, oh, peace, 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 God's going to bring peace. Uh, you know, and doing all kinds of things. They, one description where a guy picks up, you know, makes some brass horns and starts pushing Jeremiah around. He goes, you know, as, as the Lord speaks, as you've been pushed around, so, so God is going to push, push the sin out of this, out of this country. Out of the, you know, and Jeremiah gives him back another word altogether, but, <laughs> you know, saying that he's going to be punished and he's going to get to see the end. But, they would come up with these great ways to present their false, false teachings. And we need to be very careful that we're not listening to false imaginations and all the stuff that he's talking about. And, and not out of the mouth of God. In verse 17, say, they will say still unto you, unto them that despise me or spurn me, the Lord has said, again, they're using God's name, the Lord has said this, he goes, you will have peace. And they say unto everyone that walks after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. You're all walking the way you want to happen, but there will be no consequences on you because God loves you. He loves you so much that he would never bring consequences on your evil. And unfortunately, we hear that a lot. We hear it from the world, but we also hear it from so many supposed Christians well, you know, you can do what you want because we're under the grace of God and nothing will ever happen to you because God loves you. Well, God loves us too much to let us not have consequences for our sin because he knows where sin goes. And my example is, as a parent, I would never just say, well, you know, son, I love you so much. Why don't you just go play on I-40 in the middle of, middle of the high-speed high traffic? I love you so much. Go have fun. You know, uh, that is definitely not love. I want you to just go, why don't you just go have fun? You'll, you'll have lots of fun and then when you die, I'll go sue the person who hit you on the highway. And I'll have lots of money because you had fun. Uh, which makes it even worse, yes. Uh, but that's what he's kind of saying. He goes, you're following after your own imaginations and saying that nothing bad will happen to me because I'm doing what I want to do. We hear that with 
adultery. Well, I just, I just needed to satisfy my need, you know, and, and God will forgive me. Well, yeah, he might forgive you, but there might be consequences too. All kinds of STDs and, and reputation and loss of, loss of your family and loss of your, of your relationship with your spouse. All kinds of things happen for not obeying. And this is where people are right now. Well, you know, God just wants me to be happy. All right, show me the scripture in the Bible that says God wants you to be happy. And that happiness is defined by disobedience to God. Show me those scriptures and then I'll believe what you're saying, but that is the imagination of their heart. God just wants me to be happy, so it really doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm happy. So happiness is your God, not God. But we need to be very careful because sometimes we'll do the same thing with God in our own walk. Well, I've got to do these because this is what makes me happy. I've got to follow these rules, and if you're not following the same rules as I'm following, then something's wrong. Now, I'm not saying there necessarily isn't so that, that those rules are bad or good, but are the rules becoming God or is God God? And we need to be very careful. I know people who will not miss a day of church just because they feel like they would be sent to hell if they missed a day of church. Now, believe me, I believe in going to church. I've always been in church all the time, but not because I think I'm going to go to hell for not going to church. I wanted to be discipled. I wanted to be taught. I wanted to be with the body of Christ. But if I had elevated church attendance to being the one and only thing, I have made a God out of church attendance and not God. And I've been a firm believer that if God sends you someplace else on a church day, then go someplace else. People go, well, I can worship God on the, on, the, on the lake while I'm fishing. Well, you probably could. And if God really told you to go on the lake and fish with your family and have a good family day, go out on the lake and fish and worship God. But most of the people who tell me they can worship God on the lake fishing aren't worshiping God on the lake fishing. They're just fishing. They haven't thought about God all day. You know, and yes, you can. You can you can be anywhere and worship God. You can go, you can, you know, as one of my nieces have said, you know, you can you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, absolutely, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. If you want to be a strong, vibrant, growing Christian, you better find a find a, a church to go to, whatever that church is going to be. Whether it's a home fellowship with three or four people or a full-fledged church, doesn't matter, but you need to have a teacher and accountability to somebody because that is where your growth is going to come from. And there has to be that activity that's going on. He goes in verse 18 that I read, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? So now he's trying to twist this a little bit. He's been talking about all the bad prophets. Have any of them actually stood in the counsel of God? Have any of them heard his word and marked his word? Actually looked at his word. And this is very important for us. Are we actually going to stand with God and follow him? Do we mark his words? Do we look and say, God, you said that. I believe it. Or do I just make up my own rules as I go along? dig into scripture and find some verses that try to, and take them out of context and say, this is what God says. And 
not only that, sometimes people make things up. One of the big ones in America is godly, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. And you know, you know, I have met people who swear that that's in the Bible. I'm going, no, it's not in the Bible. I mean, it's a good idea. Yes, you know, you should be clean. You should keep yourself healthy. And, and God probably does like that to be true. But it is not next to godliness. All right. We need to be very careful. You know, how about God helps them who help themselves? There are people that really swear that that's in the Bible, except that that's exactly opposite of what God says. God helps them who cannot help themselves, is what the Bible teaches. And a matter of fact, the pride of helping yourself will keep you far from God. We need to be very careful what we believe as we get into God's word and mark his word and say, this is what God says. This is what he teaches. This is what he wants us to do and be able to start taking a stand on what he says. And we're going to start finding out that taking a stand for God is going to be less and less popular with our world. It's already becoming less popular. But we're going to start finding it that may end up being against the law. As these things are happening around us, we need to take a stand for God and say, God, I'm going to stand for you regardless of the consequences. And that will make us maybe get worthy of a story someplace. You know, we look at the Bible, you know, we go, wow, these guys were so exciting. They were so brave. They were so full of faith. They were so this. They were so that. Well, if they weren't, they wouldn't have been in the Bible. How many people, you know, let's take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're on this great plane with all the leaders. How many other leaders could have been followers of God and, and stood, with, stood with them? Only three of them stood. And we get to know their story. We don't know anything about the other hundreds or thousands that were sitting on that plane. Do you want to stand out for God and be, be somebody spectacular? Stand for God. Stand for God against all others, even if you're the only one standing for God. Then you have a story that's worth being told. Otherwise, you're just a, a wimp who went along with the crowd. And it's going to get hard because it is going to be harder and harder to stand with God and for God. And it's going to be greater and greater consequences for standing for God. We may lose jobs. We may lose prestige. We may lose positions. We might even at some point be going to prison for standing for God in America. But we need to be ready to take those stands. And unfortunately, there are many Christians who aren't ready to take that kind of a stand. They're just ready to wimp out and say, well, no, too, too hard a decision. Can't, can't make that decision. It's you know, not going to... Not for me to make that decision. I, I just want to be respected by everybody and not, and not have any hard times. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Give us a great night. Help us learn to stand firm for you, to not be listening to the wrong voices. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me. 
and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.